Hello and welcome to another episode of Macar for Mortals. This is part two of a three-part series on post-traumatic stress disorder. As we learned from the first episode, there are lots of ways for post-traumatic stress disorder to emerge, and also a lot of ways that the symptoms can develop. As with most disorders, there is not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis, and this is mostly down to our new invested interest in the field of mental health. I say this since the field of, of the medical field has been interested in disease and the workings of the human body for thousands of years. But when it comes down to mental health, it was a lot easier to lock people away and forget about them than understand what the brain is going through. However, like physicians of the past, I believe that at times we are so eager to find out about mental health that we pigeonhole symptoms and patients into the wrong categories too fast rather than spending quality time on finding the correct diagnosis or their unique symptomology. As you can hear, I'm still not feeling completely myself and I just really want to apologize. But again, like last week, I just want to make sure that I am getting my episodes out. I try to make sure that my voice will be as clear as possible. I'm sorry if there is times where it does sound a little bit nasally, but please just know that I am trying my best. So this week I'm going to be delving into crimes where the perpetrator perpetrator has suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. I personally find these crimes so emotionally devastating, as usually everyone involved is a victim in some way or other. This is one type of crime that if I was on the jury, I would not like to make a decision on the verdict. Therefore, unlike my previous episodes, I'm not going to mention any perpetrators by name, but focus more on the studies and research into this disorder. Research indicates an interlink between traumatic experiences and criminal behaviour, revealing that offenders present higher prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder and associated symptoms when compared with the general population. Available studies, however, rarely present data about specific trajectories that connect trauma and PTSD to criminal behaviour. A study conducted by Victoria in 2013 called Offending Behaviour, the Role of Trauma and PTSD, aimed to explore such trajectories and post-traumatic mechanisms in offenders. Victims of violence are vulnerable to a constellation of outcomes, including dissociation, substance abuse, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Chronic and prolonged exposure to violence may evolve into a dysfunctional routine perpetrated in both family and community contexts, creating a link between experiences of violence as victims and later experiences of violence as a perpetrator, through which trauma consistently appears to be the connecting factor for multifaceted expressions of violence, endured or perpetrated. A considerable body of literature has documented the relationship between trauma, child abuse, and subsequent aggressive and criminal acts. Child abuse and neglect, poverty, sexual molestation, and witnessing violence 
among others, the most common risk factors for post-traumatic reactions, aggression and antisocial behavior. In 1989, Wyndham conducted a pioneering study on 900 individuals with experience of abuse prior to the age of 11. She demonstrated a clear link between trauma and antisocial behavior, showing that children were at greater risk of being arrested in adolescence. Earlier studies by Wyndham and colleagues have been supported by other recent findings demonstrated that incarcerated male adolescents often have a history of trauma including chronic victimization, along with an intergenerational experience of violence. In adult populations, Brown, Miller and Megan have provided a detailed study of abuse in the lives of 150 female inmates. They reported that 70% of the women experienced severe physical violence from childhood caregivers or parents. Jordan, Schlanger, Fairbank and Cadell in 1996 reported that 78% of their sample of incarcerated women had experienced at least one event in their lives that met the DSM-4 criteria for extreme event with the potential to predispose an individual to post-traumatic stress disorder. Such studies sustain that offenders are very like very likely and very often exposed to traumatic events as a result of being or have been in a problematic problematic social context. The outlook of offenders contextual variables is mirrored in the high rates of post traumatic stress disorder as highlighted in a review, review by Verimeri in 2003 ranging from 4% to 65% of lifetime post-traumatic stress disorder. A recent systematic review by Joff, Rose E, Rose S and Pervs in 2007 found a prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder in sentenced prisoners ranging from 4% to 21.4%. Other investigations examined the prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder among diverse forensic populations such as incarcerated women and incarcerated men. Paul Holt and Fonacaro in 1997 reported that 21% of their sample met the six-month criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder and 33% met lifetime post-traumatic stress disorder criteria. A few studies have also investigated post-traumatic stress disorder rates in comorbidity, with substance abuse demonstrating that incarcerated men with substance misuse problems and post-traumatic stress disorder are more likely to have a higher recidivism rate than those with only substance abuse disorders. And incarcerated women with both disorders are more likely to relapse than those with only the substance use disorder. Thus, we can glean from this that incarcerated individuals with comorbid PTSD and SUD are higher risk for remaining entrenched in the criminal justice system. European prevalence studies describe a higher prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder in prison populations than in clinical and community samples. A German study examined 54 delinquents detained in forensic psychiatric institutions 
and found a lifetime of prevalence of 36% for post-traumatic stress disorder and a point prevalence of 17%. In Switzerland, 86, 86 offenders participated in a prevalence study and showed a point prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder that was conservatively estimated at 27%. Much of the research conducted on the relationship between trauma and criminal behaviour has focused upon incarcerated young offenders. Also, the majority of studies are descriptive and rarely examine the psychological mechanisms intervening in potentially specific trauma offending trajectory. Evans and colleagues made an interesting attempt to fill the gap by investigating the nature of perpetrators' memories of violent crimes. The authors conducted a semi-structured interview with a representative sample of 105 young offenders convicted of serious violence offences. They assessed their intrusive memories, remunerations and symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder related to their violent crime. Participants described significant intrusive memories of the assault and reported remunerations related to the assault. The intrusive memories tended to concern the moment when the event turned to the worst for the perpetrator, demonstrating important implications for risk assessment and therapeutic interventions for violent offenders. In another study conducted by Evans, they examined the prevalence and characteristics of amnesia in violent offenders. Their findings showed a partial amnesia of offences associated with cognitive processing during the assault. The importance of recognising post-traumatic stress disorder in offenders is underscored by personality assessment, showing a negative effect of post-traumatic stress disorder on impulsivity, aggression, negative emotions, and in general, on effect dysregulation. Furthermore, self-regulation problems have also been consistently found to be related to re the reoffending risk. In turn, such experiences may lead to both risky behaviours and into an increased risk of exposure to traumatic events and to subsequent post-traumatic stress disorder. Very often, post-traumatic stress disorder in fact, may urge individuals to engage in greater risk-taking behaviour or in seeking out dangerous and sensational situations as a part of compulsive re-exposure to trauma. And as an attempt to heal unresolved traumatisation through enactments of their early experiences of violence. This characteristic of trauma is not specifically mentioned into the official diagnostic systems. However, van der Kol and colleagues effectively explain the phenomenon as a compulsion to trauma. Such reenactments may be mirrored into both acting in behaviours such as self-harm, suicide or depression, and acting out behaviours such as harm to other and criminal activity. Highlighting that the antisocial acting out of unresolved childhood trauma may be a consistent feature in the behaviour of offenders. In this on-off mechanism of acting out and compulsive re-exposure to trauma, 
The significance of post-traumatic stress disorder may be crucial in understanding how post-traumatic syndromes may be involved in maintaining a high risk of reoffending. However, this must be further investigated. This thematic cluster of articles on criminal behaviour attempts to explore further the issues relating to trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder and criminal behaviour by looking at the complex consequences in terms of psychological mechanisms, behaviour and treatment. Four young colleagues have written a comprehensive review of the literature about the role of post-traumatic stress disorder in female offenders highlighting the high prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma histories. In this population and the role of the rehabilitation of young offenders who have had an adverse childhood experience. Miller and Navichas in 2012 discussed a key point for the criminal justice system and the role of trauma-informed care in prison populations. And they put forward the centrality of trauma in the lives of inmates proposing the components of what they name Trauma-Informed Correctional Care, TICC. Because prison settings are, per se, a covert of unavoidable triggers, such as frequent discipline from authority figures and restricted movement, that are likely to increase trauma-related behaviours and symptoms difficult for prison staff to manage. The authors describe the importance of introducing trauma-informed principles to manage triggers and stabilise offenders. Furthermore, the authors suggest introducing trauma-oriented psychotherapies and describe the main goals of such therapies applied to the settings such as public safe, safety of the inmates in custody, rehabilitation and staff and institutional security. There is a need for further research and implementation of rehabilitation programs for offenders that focus on the potential role of unresolved trauma in the antisocial trajectories of the offenders. Policymakers should challenge the debate about victim-perpetrator by providing more insight into the deeper mechanisms that facilitate both victimisation and the perpetration of violence. I wanted to find out more A lot of research has been conducted on people who once served in the military. So I thought that I would focus some of my attention on this. In February 2020, the Journal of Military Medicine published an article called An Examination of PTSD and Criminal Responsibility Among US Service Members by Embrasas. Since this was a very recent study, I wanted to see how this research was conducted and whether there are any ties that could link between post-traumatic stress disorder and active military service. Attorneys working with military clients may encounter post-traumatic stress disorder among their clientele and subsequently appeal to the military court for a sanity board evaluation. Sanity boards are derived from the rules for court-martial. An inquiry into the mental capacity or mental responsibility of the accused. Sanity boards essentially provide a determination 
for of CTS and CR for the military justice system. Forensic examiners who conduct these evaluations are asked to answer the following four questions. At the time of the alleged crime or criminal conduct, did the accused have a severe mental disease or deficit? Two, what is the clinical psychiatric diagnosis? Three, was the accused at the time of the alleged crime or alleged criminal conduct and the result of such a severe mental disease or deficit unable to appreciate the nature and quality of the wrongfulness of his or her conduct? And four, is the accused presently suffering from a mental disease or deficit, rendering the accused unable to understand the nature of the proceedings against the accused or the conduct or the corporate or cooperate intelligently in the defense. The degree to which post-traumatic stress disorder occurs in the sanity boards and how often it is associated with the insanity boards and sanity boards is actually unknown. Post-traumatic stress disorder is recognised by forensic psychiatrists as a basis for criminal defences. Ziv and Appleboer surveyed 238 forensic psychiatrists about their experience with post-traumatic stress disorder among forensic cases. They found that 30% had experience with over 10 PTSD cases and 50% had experience with at least one PTSD case. More than one in three of the post-traumatic stress disorder cases surveyed were related to combat exposure from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. The symptoms of the post-traumatic stress disorder, such as dissociation, flashback, sleep disturbance and mood liability, have successfully factored into defence strategies. Courts have recognised a link between these symptoms and criminal behaviour findings, resulting in the findings of insanity or diminished responsibility. One example is Commonwealth v Tracy, in which a veteran with post-traumatic stress disorder was found not guilty by reason of insanity because of dissociative symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder were linked to his crime. In addition to these core symptoms, other less common clinical manifestations of post-traumatic stress disorder have been implicated in criminal responsibility, including combat addiction and unconsciousness. Combat addiction refers to a reinforcing sense of emotional excitation associated with the combat experience, while unconsciousness refers to an act which occurs when a person is not conscious of his actions, such as what may occur if an act was performed while asleep. The linkage between post-traumatic stress disorder and criminal responsibility as it relates to diminished responsibility has the most support. Yet the link between post-traumatic stress disorder and criminal responsibility is not always recognised by the courts. Research suggests that in establishing a link between post-traumatic stress disorder and criminal acts can be difficult because those with PTSD are able to distinguish right from wrong since reality contact is not impaired. For certain defences, such as the insanity defence, 
post-traumatic stress disorder is often unsuccessful. Recent and ongoing combat operations may leave service members with increased susceptibility to post-traumatic stress disorder. For those service members who commit crimes, there is a possibility that post-traumatic stress disorder had a role in the alleged criminal behaviour. Yet the degree to which the post-traumatic stress disorder is linked to the criminal behaviour is unclear. Understanding post-traumatic stress disorders linked to criminal behaviour among service members can offer a range of preventative options, such as increased institutional measures to migrate the development of post-traumatic stress disorder. Some measures used in this regard include resilience training, fostered increased confidence in the mission, and increased preparedness for the rigours of combat. The military justice system may also consider accommodations for service members with combat-related post-traumatic stress disorder. Veteran treatment courts provide an example. These courts recognise the unique characteristics of veterans and offer diversion programmes out of the typical criminal justice process and into a process of accountability that focuses on rehabilitation. Service members with PTSD who encounter the military justice system may be able to migrate ongoing symptom-related criminal behaviour with an early treatment intervention. This retrospective study review completed Sanity Board evaluations at the Centre for Forensic Behavioural Scientist, Walter Reed National Military Medical Centre and Berthosa MD for one, the prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder, two, whether evaluators applied the opinion that the post-traumatic stress disorder was a severe mental disease or deficit, three, the reason PTSD was opinion to be a severe mental disease or deficit, and four, to see whether, sorry, pardon my voice, to see whether that the criminal behaviour related to the post-traumatic stress disorder. Their sample size was 229 participants. All sanity board evaluations were from the archive from active duty US service members. The average age of the service member diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder at the time of the Sanity Board was 33. This is quite poignant as I am going to be turning 33 in August. And to have that at the average age of the service member diagnosed with PTSD, they must have gone through an awful lot of trauma to be able to have that. The age range was ranging from 21 to 52. And of the diagnoses, 26 were male and 4 were female. The study examined the prevalence of post-traumatic stress disorder with the sample of active duty service members. 13.1% of the sanity board referrals were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. This prevalence closely approximates the estimates of post-traumatic stress disorder within Western military populations, which is given at 13.2%. The current finding is also lower than the 15% prevalence rate estimated for persistent and severely debilitating PTSD. 
The finding that PTSD occurs in 13.1% of sanity board evaluations suggests that forensic practitioners, either active duty or citizen, review and frequently encounter PTSD for questions to be related to the CST or CR. This prevalence nonetheless contrasts with evidence suggesting that PTSD is more prolific disorder among veterans involved in the legal system. One reason for the difference may be the possibility that the service members with PTSD are separated from active duty before encountering the military justice system. This may result in service members leaving active duty with ongoing and untreated symptoms, which may increase their chances of interfacing with the criminal justice system as veterans. The diagnosis of PTSD was considered a severe mental disease or deficit 30% of the time. This rate occurred despite no standard set criteria for the forensic practitioners to opine whether the disorder was a severe mental disease or deficit. The military judge's bench book can be considered a guide for an insanity option, but it only states that the term severe mental disease or deficit can be no better defined in the law than by the use of the term itself. It goes on to state that a severe mental disease or deficit does not, in the legal sense, include the abnormality manifested only by repeated criminal or otherwise antisocial conduct by the non-psychotic behaviour disorders and personality disorders. This study made a no priori assumptions about whether the forensic opinions related to the PTSD diagnoses examined in this study were correct based on the legal standard. It also did not judge the diagnosis classification as a correct based on preset discriminating criteria, such as those derived from the military judge's bench book. The empirical method used in the study allowed for the discriminating criteria to emerge based on the data. The most prominent discriminator for whether the PTSD was a severe mental disease or deficit was its level of impairment. The findings that PTSD with a high level of functional impairment is considered a mental disease or deficit contrasts with the suggestion that a severe mental disease or deficit must be a psychotic disorder. Despite the difference with the military judges' bench book, the study's findings are consistent with the scholars who suggest that the military justice system's definition of severe mental disease or deficit is too narrow. The military justice system's narrow definition would generally admit a disorder such as PTSD from its classification, despite the functional impairments that may be comparable to that of the psychotic disorder. It is impossible that evidence of impairment provides an objective indication of PTSD's severity, resulting in greater confidence that the diagnosis was a severe mental disease or deficit. Impairment may also be more difficult, though not impossible, to feign to a board of forensic practitioners who have access to documents and collateral sources and information in addition to the individual's self-report. 
Through a forensic examinee could lament how maladaptive he is, collateral interviews with supervisors and peers may offer a contrasting picture. The same is true of military records. Military records may provide a baseline of military performance against which claims of dysfunction can be compared. The criminal offence most associated with post-traumatic stress disorder was Article 134 of the UCMJ, which is the general article. Article 134 tends to encompass acts not specifically identified by statute. This article punishes acts in the following categories, violations of goods, order and discipline, conduct that brings discredit upon the armed services, non-capital offences that violate federal law, including the Federal Assimilative Crimes Act. Article 134 is not used to prosecute violent crimes that only have their own statute. Violent crimes associated with PTSD diagnoses in this study comprise of only 26.9% of the charged offences. By contrast, 73% of the offences associated with the PTSD diagnoses were non-violent. The observation that most offences associated with PTSD were non-violent, of which were a subset, were military-specific, suggests a difficulty maintaining behavioural comportment. For instance, a number of offences examined in the study were failure to obey, an order, an absence without leave, or AWOL. These offences could be influenced by avoidance or hyperarousal symptoms of PTSD. Service members with PTSD may have a strong aversion to the reminders of a traumatic event, which may result in the avoidance behaviour that violates orders or results in frank AWOL. Similarly, the hyperarousal symptom of PTSD may result in difficulty maintaining emotional control, leading to problems following orders or insubordinate conduct. Despite the consistency between PTSD symptoms and some military-specific offences. The symptoms of PTSD rarely rise to the level of NCR. Limitations to the present study must be addressed. A portion of the sanity boards reviewed in this study were completed by practitioners who do not have specialties in forensic. This may impact the assessment of feigning, malignoring, and the application of mental health knowledge to the law. Trauma type was also not classified, such as PTSD from any trauma, e.g. combat, sexual assault, motor vehicle accident. It was just considered as one PTSD group. The sample of the sanity boards do not address the totality of the sanity boards in the United States military, such as the sanity boards that may exist and and they may also deviate from these findings. I still felt that some of this was unsatisfactory. I don't think that PTSD can be measured accurately, and neither can we understand what is going in the mind of every individual. I also believe that the limitations described by the researchers are one that could affect the outcome of the studies for the service officers quite significantly.
More recently, in August 2020, Richmond published an article called Study Veterans with PTSD More Likely to Have Justice Systems Involvement Than Those Without. A new veteran affairs study finds that the veterans with PTSD compared to those without are about 60% more likely than veterans without PTSD to have justice systems involvement. The researchers say it's unclear what is driving the association between the PTSD and the criminal justice involvement. However, the general strain theory, which asserts that the risk of criminal behaviour is higher among people who have experienced traumatic events and report negative effects, may be partially to explain the results of the study, the authors note. Congruent with this theory, research indicates that higher likelihood of arrest among veterans with PTSD who report high levels of anger or irritability symptoms compared to those who do not report these symptoms. Screening and early identification of PTSD allow for timely treatment, which may help reduce any risk of justice involvement faced by veterans with PTSD. The findings appeared in the Journal of Traumatic Stress in April 2020. Emmeline Taylor, a health scientist specialist in the Centre for Innovation and Implementation at the Veterans Affair Palo Alto Healthcare System in California, led the study. She was also supported by Dr. Andrea Finlay, a research health scientist at the Veterans Affair Palo Alto. Dr. Finlay has carried out studies on trends and characteristics related to the justice involvement of veterans, and the other words former service members who have been detained by or are under supervision by the criminal justice system. While working in 2018 on a review of the health and the healthcare justice involved veterans, Dr. Taylor noticed that a subset of articles focused on PTSD. With an interest at the time of pursuing a graduate degree in trauma psychology, she delved into the link between PTSD and justice involved veterans. Trauma is prevalent in the active duty military, veteran and justice involved populations. Yet research has been mixed on a link between PTSD and criminal justice involvement, said Dr. Finlay, who is also a statistical consultant at Sanford University in California, an affiliated researcher at the National Center of Homelessness among veterans. Some studies have found a weak link between criminal justice involvement and PTSD and others have found a stronger link. It is important to dig into this more, she added, to improve existing theoretical models related to the pathways between mental health conditions and criminal justice involvement, as well as a veteran affairs treatment program focused on PTSD and criminal justice involvement. Understanding PTSD is one of the veteran affairs most pressing challenges. The agency said that the large percentages of veterans who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Gulf War and Vietnam, that have mental health conditions sometimes in their lives. Taylor and her colleagues based their findings on a review of 10 research papers in which the main focus was veteran PTSD and the criminal justice involvement, including a current or past arrest, criminal charges or incarceration. Eight of the studies included U.S. veteran cohorts, with one each from Britain and Israel. Studies that did not report criminal justice outcomes of the veterans without PTSD were excluded from consideration.
partially because study results have been mixed on the link between PTSD and criminal justice involvement. The research chose a meta-analysis to reach a more definitive conclusion. Meta-analysis is a statistical method that combines data from different studies into a larger data set for a statistical analysis with greater power than any of the individual studies. It is more accurate than just looking at individual studies to find different strengths of the links between PTSD and justice involvement, said Dr. Taylor. In each of the 10 studies, a veteran's PTSD and justice-involved status were measured as a yes or no. That means that the researchers needed to know whether or not a veteran had PTSD and whether or not a veteran was justice-involved. Having both of those with yes or no answers allowed the research team to calculate the estimate effect sizes. The researchers found that the odds of criminal justice involvement were 61% higher among veterans with PTSD compared to veterans without the mental health condition, a statistically significant difference. They also examined the ties between combat exposure and criminal justice involvement, but found no significant results. Nine studies reported the gender of their sample, and all of them were mostly or exclusively male. Seven studies indicated race, with the proportion of white veterans reaching as high as 82%. The researchers found that the four studies focused the link between PTSD and violent offences, but Taylor said that the finding is preliminary at best, noting that more studies are needed to connect the two for more certainty. Plus, there was no breakdown of the specific crimes of the veterans committed. The National Institute of Justice defines violent offences as those involved or actual threatened violence, including physical assault, sexual assault, or armed robbery. Non-violent offences include crimes such as larceny, theft, or drug charges. Additionally, Taylor said the number of veterans with PTSD who had run-ins with the law could not be quantified. In the studies used in our meta-analysis, the percentage of veterans with the criminal justice involvement who had PTSD, or probable PTSD, ranged from 3.8% to 47.9%. And the percentage of veterans with PTSD, or probable PTSD, who were involved in the criminal justice system ranged from 1.6% to 78.7%. Since PTSD and criminal justice involvement were measured differently in the studies, we can't say for certain the number of veterans with PTSD and criminal justice involvement. The researchers say that early screening for PTSD in healthcare and the criminal justice settings, as well as programs such as Veterans Treatment Court, may help connect former service members with PTSD to the proper treatments to break the link into the criminal justice system involvement. Veterans treatment courts serve veterans who are charged with violent or non-violent offences. Most of these courts require veterans to be diagnosed with a mental health or substance abuse disorder. Understanding the magnitude of the association between PTSD and justice involvement, as well as the strengths and limitations of the underlying evidence, allows clinicians and the system serving veterans with PTSD and criminal justice involvement to provide more tailored treatments 
that they address the link between these factors. Taylor and Finlay are eager to pursue another study on PTSD and justice involved veterans. The general strain theory could be used to guide future research on the topic, they noted. Ideally, a future study would look at a few things to try and get a better understanding about whether or not PTSD or specific symptoms of PTSD lead to criminal justice involvement. First, I want to follow veterans with PTSD over time, periodically assessing for their PTSD symptoms and any criminal justice involvement. It would also be important to assess the trauma and the criminal justice histories of these veterans prior to military story service. We also don't have a great idea about how many legally involved veterans develop PTSD due to the criminal justice experiences. It could also be interesting to do a study to screen for PTSD pre and post incarceration to try and determine the prevalence of the incarceration related PTSD. Thank you for sticking with me this week. I know it was quite hard. My voice is sort of broken in and out and it's been a bit of a struggle. I've had to stop and start quite a lot. Um, my sources this week were um, research via the Veteran Affairs, which I found really interesting and I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Also, academic OOP from the Military Medicine articles. That was absolutely brilliant to read. I would recommend that beyond anything and also the European Journal of Psychotraumology, which I didn't even know existed until now, and it's absolutely brilliant. So thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. Next week, again, I hope my voice will be better, but will be the last part of the series, and I will be focusing on victims of PTSD and more on how we can help and charities that can actually help as well. Then after the series, I will be giving the heavy toppies, topics a little rest for a month as I have a heavy load of study to compute complete. So I'm going to cover a few lighter topics. I'll do the final part of the Greek myths. Um, I will also try and cover not a light disorder, but something which... Um, only really covers one episode rather over three episodes which takes quite a lot of research but I'm still just to decide on what I'm actually going to focus on but then after that I'm going to do a big um, series on schizophrenia and how that can actually affect individuals. If you have any comments or questions please drop me an email at macabremortals at gmail.com and anything else, please give me a follow on Instagram at Macarthur Mortals. So thank you for listening again. I hope you keep safe wherever you are in the world. And thanks for listening. Bye.